Hello and welcome back. It's episode 91 of Camera Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And today's conversation, we are talking things self-awareness and common sense with Mike Omanyi. Mike is an award-winning social entrepreneur, leader, builder, academic, commentator, artist, activist, and polymath. I've mentioned the term polymath. You will find out a lot more about what that means throughout the course of this episode. And that is certainly a term that I will apply to Mike and people like him in the future. Expect to learn about Mike's background and what shaped his, him as a man with so many different interests and such an array of knowledge and understanding across a wide range of sectors. During this conversation, it leads me to delve a little bit deeper to understand about the term polymath and what it means to Mike in reality and in practice, rather than just a term that we throw around. One big area of focus for Mike has been the Common Sense Network, a news network which is for and by millennials. We learn the inspiration for this and why common sense is not currently as common as we would hope it should be. This conversation is packed with insight on how Mike improved his own self-awareness, how he manages the different roles and positions that he holds across many different businesses and how he decides to allocate his time. As people who are interested in self-development and pursuing their best self and looking at peak performance, there is a lot for us to learn about how Mike uses what he believes and what he has faith in to channel where his energy goes. That may sound spiritual, that may sound deep. This conversation does go there, but it's also highly practical as well. So I cannot wait to hear what you all think. Today's podcast is supported and brought to you by Factory Weights. Factory Weights are a premium, high quality gym and fitness equipment brand based out of Glasgow, supplying across the UK. You can get your hands on high quality equipment at an affordable price with next day delivery for just £3. Anyone that's ordered weights equipment since the pandemic will know that that is an incredible value considering I think I bought a set of dumbbells at the start of the start of the lockdown in March 2020 and paid about £50 just for delivery. Factory weights are heavy on quality but light on price and you can make a further saving at the website which is factoryweights.co.uk when you use the code CALL10 for 10% off. Anyone that's watched me on Instagram or on YouTube doing some of the Factory Weights Monday Madness workouts will know that the equipment goes through a very testing time and it stands up to it brilliantly. So if you are looking for dumbbells, kettlebells, plates, resistance bands, stretching mats, anything to support your home training or to support training in another venue, then this is the brand for you. Before we dive into this episode with Mike, if you are new here, please hit the subscribe button so you do not miss any of the weekly episodes we're releasing every Sunday. We are charging towards 100 episodes and the ability for me to have conversations with people like Mike is something that I only dreamt of before I started this podcast. I'm so grateful for the opportunities and those opportunities wouldn't come around without people like you sharing this podcast with other people like you to help grow our audience, to help reach more people, to help get on more fantastic guests like Mike, to have interesting conversations as we all chase the best version of ourselves. But without any more rambling from me after three minutes, let's get into this conversation with Mike. Welcome back to another episode of Cambro Conversations. Today's conversation, I'm delighted to be joined by Mike Omanyi. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Hey, hey, I'm really honored to be here, man. I love, I love um, 
uh, talking to people who are all about peak performance and productivity and things like that. So I'm excited. Yes. And I like being around an excited Mike because stuff gets done. Positive things get discussed. People get clear actions on how they can be their better self as well. And I've been lucky to be part of that in recent times as well. Yeah, no, we've had some pretty good times so far. What I mean, think about it. What an epic way to meet someone for the first time, right? Uh, on the on the the set of a shoot with a with some brand partner about mental health. I mean, I was just like, this is great. Normally, I meet people the first time, you know, in, in Costa or in Starbucks, but that was a <laughs> this is pretty cool. Yeah, exactly that. For the listeners' background, depending on when this comes out, Mike and I were privileged to be part of a conversation called Inside Men's Minds for Slater Menswear, and it was an incredibly moving and deep conversation about men's mental health and well-being and it was great and I feel like everyone that was part of that I now know them so much better than I would know so many other people who have spent 10x 100x number of hours that I spent with you guys yeah oddly enough I mean I hate to give zoom its props but one of the kind of um, things that, that Zoom, I think, excelled in, uh, in some part, it, when we first were getting introduced to it, was most people I met for the first time would be on Zoom, and we would kind of schedule a Zoom conversation. And so all the faff of finding the place, uh, you know, uh, sitting down, waiting for someone to arrive, wasn't there. So we just got straight into topics and just got straight into what we care about, what we're passionate about. And I just found that such an amazing way to meet people, to kind of hear them talk about their passions, what they're interested in, um, and not having to go through the faff of like, you know, just, just. I think physical means obviously have their place, but they, they can be a bit clumsy. And Zoom just cut through that, right? Um, and, you know, and, and, and case in point, you know, I, I loved, I loved, I met a lot of new friends during, during lockdown, but also I loved meeting you, as you just said, in that, in that kind of atmosphere where I was hearing you speak about yourself you know, really deeply. What a, again, what a great way to kind of be introduced to someone. Yeah, absolutely. And just in that Zoom piece, I, I love it for work when I'm doing prospects and so trying to win new business. I can have a 15, 20 minute conversation with somebody and by the end of it, him and I or her and I both know whether we're going to have some next steps or whether it was nice to meet you, but it's not really a great fit. Let, let's go. Whereas you'd have all the rigmarole of going to see them, buying them a coffee, arranging that time. And so there is, there is huge benefits to Zoom, Mike. And it lets us do stuff like this as well. You know what's so crazy? What you just said, I was talking to a friend about it not too long ago. When I was starting out um, in like with the business, of course, I was looking for money. So I was looking for investors. And there was a time where I, because I used to live in Manchester, I got a train to Man from Manchester to London to meet a prospective investor, I guess. So at least I imagined they might be. Anyways, I get to, you know, to London, I run around, I'm sweating, I'm wearing like you know, a real kind of pursuit of happiness moment. I've got this ragged suit on, like, who's going to give me money type of situation. I get to his office, we sit down, he's a bit late, but he, he comes and he sits down and we have a probably what I would say a 15 minute kind of general chat. And he goes, actually, Mike, I've got, I've got something on, um, let, let, let's catch up next week. And I just thought, sorry, say what? <laughs> he was like, let's catch up next week. And so obviously I was like, yeah, that's totally fine. Yeah, next week sounds good kind of thing, right? And I walk out the room and I'm just thinking, I just got like a train from Manchester here to see this guy who I thought was a prospective uh, um, investor. He gives me 15 minutes of his time and then just like disappears. And I just thought, what a waste of time, right? I love Zoom because that never has to happen again, Colin. I just send them a lovely Zoom link. It's, it's, <laughs> they click on it, we have our chat. 
you know, if they have to log off in 15 minutes, it's okay. I'll book another meeting, you know? But, but, but that, that notion of traveling to meet people for the startup um, um, folk, was so, it's so tasking, traveling all across the country, going to random events and realizing you weren't meant to be there. Thankfully, that's in the past. Yes, it's in the past. And you've mentioned there just one of the many things that you do, Mike, and you said there about seeking investors for your business. Do you want to give the listeners a little bit of an insight about what it is that Mike Omanyi does? Yeah. Okay. So um, I had a, I, had, I was literally did a podcast yesterday with somebody. So it's rehearsed in my mind, but normally I stumble through this question. Like I kind of do this and I kind of do that. But essentially my golden thread, if you'd like, the thing that kind of connects every random project I get involved in uh, for me is really, I, li I like solving complex problems. That's kind of my interest. Um, you know, was a kid that would pull apart dolls and stick a truck's head on it and put a stick through a truck and just I used to break stuff and then put it back together and try and figure out how things are put together that's always been my interest and so I just do that for a number of different um, organizations but also uh, you know there's some organizations that I run too so that that pursuit of happiness story was about the common sense network which is a news network based here in in, in the UK the idea, if you like, or the mission behind that news network was to try and correct some of the crazy uh, biases and excesses that, that exist in the UK media system, the kind of left-wing versus right-wing divisive. Now, we all know about echo chambers, social media, filter bubbles. Those words have become really kind of um, commonplace. And so what the Common Sense Network does is tries to create a space for people who don't see eye to eye to come together and discuss and learn from each other. So it's, it's, it's your news network, but with that kind of urban millennial uh, uh, flair. We started off by raising 50K in 50 days um, through a crowdfunder Kickstarter campaign. I used to have an Afro. That's when I lost my Afro because every single day I worried. <laughs> Not even because I didn't want to fail. It's just because I have such a chronic kind of, I must succeed thing about me that, my mom was really worried. She was like, you need to calm down, Mike. That was a really stressful time. Anyways, um, we, we then needed another 100K uh, uh, kind of injection. I then tried to raise another 150K, hence, hence, hence why uh, I was sweating like a crazy person. So, so, so that's that one. I also run a Christian charity called Our God-Given Mission because I'm a Christian. I'm really interested in missions. Um, I run something called the Apex Group, which is a secret group of CEOs and founders where we share best practices. I mean, did you know that like, you know, I'm sure you know, half, half, half uh, of businesses that start fail within six months. But if you're a black business, it then goes to 79%. So if you're a black founder, it's almost certain that you're going to fail. Um, and so we created this group to try and curb that. I do lots of other things. I do work with Sawford University, Chatham House, some stuff with Twitter, um, and a couple of other organizations here and there. Yeah, I, I know you didn't like being asked that question previously and I, I, I laughed because there's so much that you could answer with but yeah. sometimes it feels like you're maybe saying too much and you spread yourself kind of too thin across these things and I know sometimes with your with your diary you maybe feel like that way as well but as somebody that's got and the kind of classic phrase would be finger many pies like you're somebody that applies himself across multiple different areas but I think it's really important that you've identified through your own self-awareness that the crux of it all is that you like to solve problems and that is something that you try and do across everything you get involved in. If that isn't what is occurring during the time that you're spending doing something, then I imagine that's when you start to maybe pull back. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so important. I mean, I, I mean, the term I use is golden thread. And to talk about that some more, essentially the idea is whatever you do, there tends to be a thread that connects all of them. Otherwise you wouldn't do it, right? Why are you doing what you're doing? And for me, it was, it was pretty important to kind of work out what that is pretty early because I am prone to, you know, people like me have a saver complex. We want to change everything and save everything. So, you know, people always present me things. Notice I said difficult problems. I'm also a problem solver. And there's a million problems I could be solving right now, but I'm only drawn to particular sticky problems. These are problems that as you solve them, they beget more problems. That's just the way I'm built, right? I like stuff like that. And so that's the golden thread that connects everything I do. Um, and I should also be clear in saying, you know, when, when I say, when you say you're the founder of something or you run something, people get this image that it's just you doing it. It really isn't. I've got organizations with like 30 people who are part of it, 20 people who are part of it. So it isn't just me. My job really is to ensure that, you know, we're thinking about, you know, how the past is changing us, what we're currently kind of uh, uh, eating and focused on, but also how the future might change and to ensure that we're, we're, um, we're, we're future proof, so to speak. That's more my, my actual day-to-day job. Within some of the bios I've seen for you, Mike, we've got terms like leader, builder, academic, commentator, but we've also got polymath. And given the range of activities there that you've just outlined, I would agree with that title. But firstly, for, for the listeners, how would you define polymath? Really interesting term. I kind of stumbled across it when I was speaking at some event and there was a guy who wrote a book called Polymath and he, he basically explained what the book was. And I thought, oh my gosh, finally, I found vocabulary for something I've been feeling all my life. And all my life, I've been fascinated. There's a, there's, there's a kind of Christian metaphor that the apostle Paul uses when he's in prison in Second Timothy. He says, I've been poured out like a drink offering. And that, all, that always fascinated me, this notion that someone could, could feel as though their whole life and their, you know, their, their thoughts, their emotions, their passions was all poured out and they were literally almost expired. So I became fascinated by, by that kind of Christian metaphor. And so all my life I've been thinking, how do I apply myself you know, in every way possible? How do I explore every sinew of passion and interest I have such that when I die, I could on my deathbed be like, uh, I've been poured out like a drink offering. <laughs> and so, you know, polymath is a term that we really learn about in the kind of early 20th century. Uh, there's a philosopher called, called Batista who really kind of pioneers it. And, and essentially, when we talk about polymaths, we're talking about folks who who tap into, who excel in multiple different fields. Now, this doesn't mean they're kind of specially picked. No, they're just willing to kind of uh, really kind of explore the full bandwidth of their capabilities and to stretch themselves to the max in different industries, different uh, uh, scenarios, and then find success in them. So when I think about the Renaissance, for instance, uh, a, lot of, a, a lot of the figures we talk about there, you would describe as polymaths. But even more recently, you know, people like, um, what's her name? The woman who wrote Why the Caged Bird Sing. I forgot her name. Oh, I'm not going to tell you there, Mike, but on you go, but we'll go with <laughs> oh, 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 Childish Gambino. That's one people may understand. Uh, he, he's, he's someone I would call a polymath because these are someone who, who excels in different fields, both in acting and producing and music. They just stretch themselves because human beings are capable of a lot, you know, but we have to be put under the stress for all those amazing things that come out of us. When did you start to acknowledge that you were a polymath even before you had the... Than maybe the term to describe it? 
literally as early as I could kind of think I can imagine because because I'll tell you why I literally lived and breathed sports growing up I loved sports sports I thought I was going to be a professional athlete for the rest of my life but after playing sport if I saw someone playing music I'd be like I could do that so I'd start learning music if someone goes oh you know uh, someone got an A in maths and I got like a B I'd be like okay how did you get an A and then learn that and want to do that as well so I was that kid that was like you know I used to be such a loser. Like I used to have like a a, um, uh, a diary when I was young and I would like fill it up with stuff, you know, practice and rehearsals and training. And because I was so desperate to just be, uh, 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 to be busy and to feel as though I'm doing something, that's something that, that, that happened when I, when I was young. So I think looking back at it, I haven't had time to think. It is just a natural curiosity I think I've had that I had people around me who nurtured he would go, yeah, go, yeah, go try that out. My mum was, if I told my mum I, I saw tennis, she'd be like, yeah, go, go play it. And I'll just kind of go and just keep trying these things. So, um, yeah, that's that, that. I'm thinking about it now. That's probably where it comes from. Yeah, very, very young age, being so keen to explore things and excel in them, regardless of what, kind of maybe the story that would be around those. So, for example, I got to be in maths. Maybe I'm not naturally gifted at maths. Not a problem. Let me go and work on that and I'll come back to you. That's it. That's it. That 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 that's it. And part of it has been <laughs> being Nigerian. Um, you know, the, the 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 typical Nigerian experience is you you come home with like a with like a you know, eighty four, and uh, my and my mum would kind of go, "Well done," but where's the where's the other sixteen? And you're kind of like, <laughs> and um, I think if if there's any Nigerians listening, they may be able to relate. But just that kind of it comes from your parents, doesn't it? You know, there's there's clearly a kind of, um, as I believe, a kind of God deposit in you to have that kind of proclivity. But it takes, you know, people around you to nurture that and to stir that up and to ensure it doesn't become toxic, you know. So I really do give credit to mom and dad for just spotting this this thing, nurturing it, but not allowing me to become some kind of like weird robot that's just all about productivity. I still care about human beings. I care about life. I care about kind of living a kind of balance in the holistic life as well yeah undoubtedly and i think like you say there there's there's genetics there's but then there's nature there's nurture and there's also environment and you seem to be very very aware of all of those was there anything you turned your hand to during your life where you've just been like this isn't for me mike that you've maybe had to walk away from that's a good question (laughs) is there I imagine there probably is some sort of kind of business thing we kind of tried and it didn't work um, because that happens all the time. Um, On a personal level, I don't, I don't know if I even have that framework of thinking, if I'm honest with you, I don't think I think like that. And what I mean, (laughs) what I mean by that is, so I've got a shelf in my mind yeah. And there's like a million things on my shelf. And, and, and what I say to those things is like, not yet. Um, and that's that. And for me, that's pretty much it. I, I very seldom go, not for me, or don't care, or I'm crap at it. I used to hate that question. Like, what are your weaknesses? I'm like, I don't see, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't think about them as weaknesses in my mind. I just think about, about them as like things I got to work on, <laughs> you know? That's incredibly powerful though, isn't it? And it's it served you so well in that you have pursued things that maybe would have seemed beyond your grasp. I mean, for you to be so heavily involved at the University of Salford at 
in your mid-20s is genuinely incredible. If you look around at the, the chancellors and the boards and the people that give advice to universities, they are, by all accounts, old men normally. Get older, yeah. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly that. You mentioned sports there. What role do you think your mastery of table tennis played in who you are today? How did it shape you? Honestly, it might sound so weird to people, but I think every every strong lesson I've learned in life is from sport. Like all the best lessons I've learned from life is from sport. Uh, maybe because I played so early, like I was running literally since the minute I could walk, my mom said I was running and I just loved running. And even now I just love running. I, I like being active. And for me, if we talk about table tennis for a minute, I should correct people. Everyone always calls it ping pong. It's not ping pong. Ping pong is the name of a company that makes balls, but the sport is called table tennis. Just getting that out of the way. Anyways. <laughs> Someone's listening to this like, all right. <laughs> but um, it happens all the time. Same thing happens with Hoovers. Folks go, oh, you know, you know Hoover. It's a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Hoover's a company um, who, who, who've been very good at marketing. Anyways, um, so, uh, um, Table tennis is, is, is an amazing sport. I took to it because my mum and dad, that's how I think they met playing table tennis, or, or at least they, 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 were play, they played table tennis at a very high level. And so when they started playing, uh, they bought table tennis table in the house, that's when I started watching them. Um, and I soon fell into the sport. And, you know, one, sport is great as it pertains to sacrifice, discipline, you know, stuff like that. And so for me, that's the, I, I got a stock you know, deposit of just discipline and, and sacrifice and stuff like that as, by, by virtue of playing the sport. But when you move away from casual playing, uh, semi-pro playing into professional playing, well, then you start to obsess over the tiniest things and you start, you, and you start to see how the obsession over the tiny things pays dividends when, when you're kind of, um, when you're, when you're on your stage, so to speak, when it's a match, when it's a kind of a, a tournament. And for me, that was a big lesson, the notion that little things matter. And, and, you know, correcting your, the angle of your wrist would have a great bearing on the amount of spin you generate, which then would lead to you losing the match or winning the match. That, for me, is where attention to detail was nurtured. Uh, uh, also nurtured, perhaps, in other sports I've played, is this notion of the, 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 the idea that to achieve special purposes on a field, for instance, it takes having a very specific diet. And so one cannot have a general diet and expect to achieve special purposes. And so there's a kind of general way to live, a general channel, a general uh, set of things I should be interested in, passionate about, focused on at my age. And from a young age, I just, I just learned like, you know, I remember when I had a girlfriend and it was kind of, I think it was, uh, it was like Valentine's Day. And I remember going to my coach, like, oh, am I allowed to take the day off? And he did even say, he just looked at me like, what are you talking about? Get your spikes on, like. <laughs> and I was just like, oh. And when I explained to her, I didn't have the vocabulary, but now I do. The coach is just making me very clear. You cannot achieve what you're trying to achieve by living life, obeying the general holidays everyone has. You've got to, you've got to specialize your diet for the special purposes you're interested in because you cannot achieve special purposes on general diets. Th- those lessons early on were transformative. I have no, I had no clue, but they were laying the foundation for what would become a very kind of focus. I'm very big on those things. I say it all the time. So um, it played a large part, man. Table tennis was a catalyst, but but a lot of sport I played did play a large part in in, in the values I now hold dear. Those are powerful lessons, aren't they? And the fact that they stick with you and you can 
bring forth examples from each one. So the angle of your wrist table tennis, which will obviously be something that somebody said to you at some point or some coach, the, the way your coach looked at you when you tried to get Valentine's day off. So you could <laughs> take your girlfriend out. That's that stayed with you, but you straight away understand what the lesson was. And there's probably lots of different childhood and young adult experiences that we all have that could have taught us lessons, but maybe we weren't ready to learn them. But it's great that you've been able to frame those and take those forward. Like, don't get me wrong, I, I can think back to hours at rugby training and there's probably potentially transformative or brilliant lessons for me within that. But there, but equally, I might not have taken them on board at that point. So I think you are somebody that was ready and willing to be taught these different lessons and then apply them importantly in other areas of your life. Like, for example... Yeah this attention to detail. Where do you think the attention to detail falls now? Like where do you apply it the most? <laughs> um, to the annoyance of my team, when it comes to reviewing their work, <laughs> I did, I'm the guy that finds stuff like, I'm all about that. You know, all about this type of situation. And, and, and not just cause you know, not just cause I'm just macabre, but because for me, you know, again, little things matter. You know, it's, it's the devil's in the details that were right. It's all these tiny things obsessing over them. It's, it makes the product more refined and it just makes whatever we put out that much better. Um, you know, I, I think it's important to let your listeners know as well that, you know, I, I like to, I, I love what you said about, you know, being intentional when you're young. I also think a lot of lessons we, we, we were taught when we were young, um, naturally, they don't come into, into kind of fruition or, 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 they, or we don't really understand the kind of gravity and weight of them until we're much older. So it's it's definitely in deep retrospe kind of retrospection that I've looked back in that and actually started to realize some of the stuff that I was learning and, and the part of place now. So I don't want to make it seem like I was young, taking notes every time my coach corrected me. Um, no, I wasn't. <laughs> there was times I thought this guy's been over the top. You know, in athletics particularly, it was really annoying because you would run, he would come to you like, your knee's not up. You're thinking, my knee's up, right? And he's like, it's not up, it's not up. And he's correcting little things, little things, little things. But you realize, again, when you get on your stage, that's when those little things matter. So, um, so there's a bit of that too. For me, as per attention to detail, I think it's such a rare skill in today's world because people just do things with no passion, no love. Um, and honestly, it's, it's, it's reflective in the kind of output we get. In, in it. Like most things I look at just suck. You know, I hate when I look like, look at a YouTube video and like, there's just the, there's just the, the spacing's wrong or people's bio, you know, on Twitter, they just like, just haven't spaced it correctly. And that stuff just gets at me. <laughs> but that's, a, that's your personality type. And that's what you've been raised and ready to do. I, I want to dive back into the um, kind of retrospective reviewing of these things that you've experienced over the years. How do you, how do you do that, Mike? Because I think there's maybe be well i certainly when i'm listening back to this i'll be thinking what can i look back at within my life that maybe would have shaped me if i was more ready for it now so when did you become ready to look at these lessons and maybe what tools yeah. did you do so it, it, it was definitely when i met when i met a mentor of mine i've got about three mentors and when i met one of them they kind of took me back and was like tell me some of the earliest things you did they didn't say what shaped you because then i would start kind of telling myself a narrative but they just said what tell me some of the stuff you did and they would ask about it and it was really just like in talking over dinner and just thinking about because i'm someone i don't obsess over the past at all i have bad memory I, i'm just terrible at like oh 
you know, yeah, remember last year when we went to, I don't remember we went there, I, I move on very quickly. So he started forcing me to think back and to kind of remember and to kind of really try and connect with my memories. And I thank him for that because now my memory is much better, but also um, they, there's like a treasure trove of just lessons. If you would go back and remember that crazy art teacher or that really interesting, you know, eccentric PE teacher, so to speak. So it was, it was, it was my mentors that did it. Uh, that kind of sparked it but also i review frequently so i i have a weekly review end of every week i review an end of every quarter at the end of every month i have a a um another review but it's it's more deep it's deeper than the weekly one every quarter i have a a much deeper review like pretty much like three four five days sometimes i take off um half the year i have a big review and then at the end of the year you know like two three weeks you won't find me uh, working the way I normally work. I'm thinking, I'm relaxing. Um, I wake up quite early. I, like now I'm learning to kind of just, just be quiet so, so I can allow deep memories and deep um, um, thoughts to connect and sink and to form in my mind. Because three years ago, I, I, I got a bit scared that so much was happening in my life that I wasn't actually remembering what's happening. Yeah. And that's when I really started thinking, I need to fix this. I need to create time to be slow and allow the memories to form um in my head properly so yeah that's how i do it it's thinking back it's journaling it's it's meditating i do i do a lot of that stuff more than people think because i think people expect you to put it online that you're meditating or whatever but i don't like I, it's just something i do by myself and I, even now i live with a housemate and one of the one of the interesting things because i've lived alone for a bit has been finding out finding a way to do all these things so he doesn't know i'm doing them because 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 for me it's ruined the minute he's like oh what are you doing Michael? i'm like meditating it's like it's ruined <laughs> so if he goes out i'm i'm sneaking an hour in here if he does the, do you know what i mean because for me that's that's a that's you need some things that are only for you and that aren't for other people and 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 for me that that that's reflecting i'm so interested in the reflection through these reviews do you have a framework that you follow how have you developed that over time yeah, so um, it depends which kind of one it is. If it's the weekly one, th there isn't really a framework. It's what kind of moments stood out, you know, what kind of interesting things happened this week. And I would think about those things, you know, sequentially. Um, and it, it carries on for all the rest of the reviews. When I get to the quarterly reviews, that's when it's normally with somebody. So it's with a mentor. I might drive to their house, stay the weekend, and really think about the last three months, what's happened, what's going on? Am I happy with the direction of travel? How am I feeling? Am I, do I feel baggage? Do I feel luggage? Um, and and, and the, the, the half a year uh, retreat is similar, similar to that. And uh, every year I try and get away. Um, and that's where my year review typically will take place, where I'm thinking about the whole year and what have I, what, what have achieved, what I haven't achieved. I set goals every year. I know people are split on how important goals are, but for me, um, I need it. I need it because I'm someone who has very good speed and like, and like, no passion or whatever, but I get, I, I lose track of what I'm doing a lot. If I don't see clearly, here's what's happening. So I use those goals. I mark myself against those goals. I ask myself, Mike, you said you're going to do this in January. It's now, you know, December. Did you do it? If you didn't, why didn't you do it? And stuff like that as well. So some are very practical and, you know, I'm writing down others are just mental checks, but um, 
for me, just doing that has just meant that my I'm just way more in tune with what I'm doing, the pace I'm going, where I need to take a rest, where I need to take a break, so on and so forth. I think we could all do with being more in tune. You were speaking there about attention to detail, and I, I never like to interrupt. So one of the reasons that a lot of people don't have attention to detail nowadays, and I find this myself at times, is because of the amount of distraction around us. You mentioned there about meditating and your your, your housemate and you're coming in. What about your phone going off? Of course you don't put online that you're meditating because that will break your flow. <laughs> I try I try not to put online that I'm gratitude generally in the morning because I'm trying to be digital free till I'm out of the house doing a walk. And to then get my phone out, take a photo of my, of my journal and then put it onto Instagram. Best believe the stories are going to grab my attention or the DMs or something is going to take me away from this mindset that I'm trying to get into. So this whole thing around focus on retrospective thought and also present thought and planning and goal setting a lot of it i think is challenging for us in this modern age because we are distracted and a little bit pulled away from being able to focus on these different things which require like difficult focus i don't know about you mike but when i started journaling i found it quite hard to write some of the things i was going to write you probably sometimes some of the stuff you write down probably scares you in terms of your goals as well of course i i I mean i loved what you said there um because essentially we're talking kind of about digital minimalism aren't we and just how powerful it is it's become one of the most radical things to do in our age to turn off your phone <laughs> there's like an act of rebellion right against the again it's like consider being iconoclastic now if you go i want to have a weekend without my phone everyone's like whoa all right kind of situation but um it's so important man so so important um and having things that are just for you is important um like in the christian tradition i'm from you know matthew 6 speaks about um kind of um doing good and it says if you do good with your right hand your left hand shouldn't know and the idea there is that when you do good it shouldn't be like for public uh, appraisal um and for people to kind of go oh good job good job which is directly opposed to literally how social media works which is about sharing the good in your life (laughs) so people can clap for you right um, but equally, you know, a verse on, it then says, when you pray, shut the door so no one can hear you because when you pray, it's between you and God. And I find some of these things are so hard to do in today's age, to have moments that are just for us and our creator or moments that are just for us full stop, because we're so used to oversharing and inviting people and into, into, into our most you know, no, sensitive and secret spaces. We just, we're just an open door. Uh, and I find it so weird where folks will tweet, you know, like, I'm really lonely right now. Or I'm, I'm thinking, hold on, surely you have some f- actual friends who you can message that before you put it to strangers online, you know? So digital minimalism, when I met you and you spoke about putting your phone away at dinner, stuff like that, you know, they're tiny acts. That, that start to prep us for a life that's actually balanced and holistic and that isn't, you know, you know, we're not exposed to information all the time that just spins us out of control because I find that's what we're suffering, suffering with. People are suffering with classical conditioning. They've just been flooded with, with stimuli all the time and, and our receptors are like dying. <laughs> yes. So now people like see, a, like people see an amazing thing and they go low and they scroll and I'm like, what that's that's the engagement you have with it low lol and you just move on you don't actually laugh you don't actually emote you just go 
so, like I was with a friend who was scrolling and he was like, that's funny. And he scrolled on and I was like, laugh then. Normally when you find something funny, you laugh. But he's... <laughs> Am I been over the top, Colin? <laughs> no, I don't think so at all. Honestly, Mike, I, I think it's it, it is incredible how we've been conditioned. And you just said there, our receptors and our reactions to things have been changed so radically. Like if you showed like the stuff that I'm seeing on Instagram reels to like me when I was like even like in my teens, like I, I, had, a, I had a phone and I had a phone at school, but it had like snake on it until like fifth or sixth year. So until I was like 16, 17. My, fo- my phone was like basic. I then got a BlackBerry so I could do like Facebook and BBM, but that was about it. And so if you showed that kid now, he'd be absolutely wrapped in like two or three reels, whereas we're so conditioned to it. We're like, oh yeah, thank you, next. Thank you, next. Yeah, great, cool. And we're swiping constantly and moving. So yeah, we, I mean, we could really go down the rabbit hole in digital minimalism, but what I would underline to listeners from this part of the conversation for me is that you have these checkpoints away from the madness to give you direction, but also delve into what's happened to you in the real world previously, not on the screen that enables you to learn lessons and that attention to detail, that focus on the, on the the key things that are going to drive you forward and checking in and seeing how that goes as well as using mentor figures is something that I've learned a lot. Just, just discussing with you right now. Yeah. I, 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 you know, the, the way I would put it is this, um, you know, p- p- people like me who are like really passionate about like change and stuff and, you know, being driven and whatever, we go out to change things. And what happens inadvertently is we end up being changed by the things we're doing sometimes, right? So I, I, case in point, even me moving to London, you know, I'm here trying to change, change things, but, but my city uh, sometimes changes me more than I change the city. So I start to inhale and take in all the different kind of uh, 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 things that are particular about my city. London's a very busy city. Everyone does a million things. People got side hustles, top hustles, bottom hustles. Everyone's just super, super busy all the time. So, so you know, in the, again, in the Christian tradition, we would call it Sabbath or like a day off. But um. Like if God rested, as I believe, then I feel feel like we should rest too. Um, And it blew my mind a few days ago when I was talking to, again, a mentor of mine and we were having like a board meeting because he sits on the board for one of the things I do. And he was saying that, you know, his Sabbath is so-and-so day. And I'm still, that's still kind of a foreign concept to me. I, I know it, I've read it, but I'm still like, I don't know if I could have a whole day where my phone switched off and I can't be contacted. And he was explaining why he does. He says he needs it because... He's just always on, you know, he's leading this big thing and he's always accessible. He's, he's mentoring hundreds of, like, he's just really busy. So he said, the reason I take it, and he said, initially people will roll their eyes and be like, oh, you're being over the top. But then later on, they'll get used to it. Like, this is how he, he works, right? But he said, no one's going to fight for you to have that day off. So you need to fight for it yourself. <laughs> no, in the world we live in, people will happily give you more work. Your boss, if you if you smile the wrong way, will give you more work. Everyone wants to give you more. No one's going to fight for, for time off you, time to make these crucial connections, to deepen your thought process. No one's going to give you that. You have to demand it and fight for it. And so whatever works for you, it's up to you to decipher that. But you need time to process the, the 100 things that's happened to you in the week. Otherwise, I'm not a scientist, but the crucial bonds don't fund with your neurotransmitters 
And so the memory doesn't get embedded into or committed into the part of your brain that, that stores deep and meaningful memories. And so it becomes another past and thing that thing that happened. And I think it's shocking the degree to which folks go through the year and they can't pick out any meaningful moments. It's just all Sundays and Mondays and Saturdays and, 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 and they don't have a narrative or they haven't arranged their experiences in a way that makes sense. They haven't thought about the pattern or the narrative that's happening. They're just kind of going through the motions. And so uh, uh, pausing and taking the Sabbath or taking a break, it's an invitation to rest, but also to make sense of all, because information in and of itself isn't just great. You need to be able to arrange information. That's what makes it meaningful when you can arrange information. You can't just be like, I've got more information. Great. Nah, you got to arrange it, man. Mike, there's so many directions I could go, go with that as well. But the, the, <laughs> I'm sorry. The one, that, the one that's standing out the most in my mind at this moment is I'm not somebody that's religious. And we spoke about this over, over dinner with, with our friend Chris Reeve as well. But so much of the teachings of the religion, even if you don't go as far as to commit to um, attending church, etc., and really believing and having that powerful faith, so much of the principles behind it would be valuable in today's society. And I, I, I said this to you as well. I think the fact that we're going towards a secular nation largely and we don't have the same focus on religion is actually a lot a, a, the cause for a lot of societies else. People seek religion in other ways. We're going to talk about politics at some point in this discussion, aren't we? But they seek religion in other ways, but they also forget these principles like the Sabbath, like praying in silence, close the door. So it's you and you and the Lord or you and yourself. We don't remember these things now because that part of our life is no longer as embedded as it previously was when maybe, maybe even before my parents' generation, when, when, when church was more of a rite of passage. Um, so I, I find that very, very interesting that elements of religion, even if you were not to take the faith element of it, would radically improve how some people live their life, in my opinion. Big time. I mean, yeah, it's case in point, Jordan Peterson, right? He's someone who, who, who says he's not a Christian by the kind of definition that folks would say, you know, believe Jesus rose from the dead, believe he's the son of God, but is so fascinated by the kind of, whether it's like kind of, you know, historical iconography uh, or, or just kind of the kind of light motifs that exist in there, that he's spent a large part of his life trying to extrapolate the light motifs and turn them into lectures and, and studies. And, and there's millions of people who are like, yeah, I want some of that type of situation, right? And I do think as a culture, absolutely, we've thrown the baby out of the bathwater. Um, there was a time where the Sabbath was enforced, right? So like, there's a reason why shops, you know, um, close early on Saturdays and Sundays, right? It's, it's been in the UK, it's it's because in it, historically that was the, that was a Sabbath. That, that was a Sabbath period. You just you, shops went open. I remember reading about when shops first opened on Saturday. Everyone was like, "Whoa!" kind of situation because they were so used to having a Sabbath, right? And a part of me, obviously, I'm biased. I'm a Christian, so of course I've got my own perspective. I think it's good in some part because it, you know rather than just kind of doing what you're told by the state people have a freedom to choose a sabbath uh now um but at the same time i think the negative uh, effects are clearly observable you know pe people having no truth higher than their own it, it, it leads to a lot of pain because we are finite in the finite individuals we don't even know what's behind our heads you know so we're just stumbling through life most of the time and and like i said we don't have a, a framework to arrange the experiences we're having so they don't just so it doesn't amount to anything 
And for a lot of people, life's happening to them. They're, they're not actually making sense of what's going on. It's just kind of whatever happens, happens. And it doesn't matter because I'm going to go out on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I would, I would hate to live my life like that. You mentioned at the start when I asked you, what does Mike do? You mentioned the Common Sense Network, and I'd love to focus on that a little bit. It's this news network, it's for and it's by millennials. But what really drove the need for us to put forward news in a common sense way? Yeah. Interesting issues asked because I think people always kind of think I've kind of always been a really pop, uh, passionate about news. I didn't care about news at all until probably my master's, which sounds crazy to say, but like a lot of people, news was just the thing that was on the TV in the, in the barbershop or like, you know, it was just news, right? It wasn't anything interesting until I started studying it. I, did, I took a media course and I started studying the media and I was just, I was just dumbfounded at some of the facts, the stats, you know, three middle-aged white men, and that's not a dig at them. It's just a fact. Um, nothing wrong with middle-aged white men or young white men or old white men for that matter. All white men matter. Anyways, the point is <laughs> three middle, middle-aged white men controlled the 84% of the news market. And I just thought that's a, that's a bit problematic, just a little bit, because if they control that, 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 that you know, and the 71% of the, news, of the newspaper uh, the distribution, I just thought with that amount of control, they're able to, 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 to um, enact or to have an inordinate amount of control on what we think, what we know, what we read, what we talk about. And so even if they don't mean it, it's just a very distorted media landscape. And so I just thought someone has to do something about it. So I started doing research, like who's doing something about this? And I found a couple of organizations, but not, not a lot of them were, were also committed to this notion of bringing people out of echo chambers and, and bringing people, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, bringing people together who don't see eye to eye. You know, none of them were doing those things. So I thought, okay, well, let's start it. So initially I got together about 120 people using Twitter and we, we were in a WhatsApp group chat and we, we were just talking about everything we hear about the media. People were talking about the fact that 0.2% of journalists are black, but, but really we make up 3% of the population. The fact that 51% of journalists went to private school, but you know, only 7% of the population went to private school and like just as you as we kind of unpacked it was like a russian doll there was just something else that we were like this is really problematic and so we just thought okay cool, you know what let's start our own thing let's do it the way we think it should be done and so we focused on after much deliberation on polarization and really working to destroy polarization working to bring people out of echo chambers and to access getting people who historically didn't don't get involved in news don't get involved in current affairs, getting them into the political sphere and getting them talking and, and learning and sharing. Those are our twin kind of uh, uh, focuses. Um, but but um, yeah, it, it all came from me doing research and finding out just how broken the system was. Yeah, I think anyone that's consumed news during this COVID period would be alarmed by how our media has put forward some of the facts. And you don't need to be a conspiracy theorist to be a little bit questioning of, just how much the media is focused on scaring the living daylights out of you when it comes to the, the the virus. But we won't linger too much on on COVID. One of the terms you used was echo chamber, Mike. 
I feel that I've definitely been stuck in an echo chamber sometimes. I look at the media I consume. I look at the, the accounts that I'm following. I look at the news websites that I visit. I look at the newspaper articles that I read or the columnists. And by and large, they reinforce my views. The only time I've ever really challenged is sometimes when I'll maybe listen to a, a podcast with two people who are maybe debating back and forth. And even then that can be sensationalist, although I feel podcasts are considerably better than the news channels where they bring on two people to yes. each other's heads off. Um, but what are some of the ways that you tackled this polarization then? That, that was one of the big games. What was the, what was the method? Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's a difficult issue because of course, tribalism isn't new. It's not as though last year, everyone thought let's be tribal. It's something that's, it's, it's, it's as, it's as human and natural as breathing. You know, the minute we could breathe, we were looking for people who looked like us who sound like us, who we can do life together with. And so there's a very, and, and you know, tribalism is good in some parts because it just makes you feel seen, makes you feel like you've got a collective and a group of people uh, uh, who, who see life the way you see life. Um, like most things in life, there is an excess though. When you only live there, then you actually expose yourself to more danger because you're just not, uh, your mind's not supple enough um, uh, uh, be, because it's not exposed to things that threaten what you know, and even your body, the way your body works is being exposed to new and dangerous microorganisms. You can't say these things these days because of COVID, but the way your body works is to, <laughs> is really being exposed to these things. And then and after your body builds itself back stronger. I mean, even muscles, Wolf's theorem, like your, the, the, the notion is that your muscle fibers rip and then they build back stronger, but you've got to have this initial tension. And I find that we live in an age where, because we've we, we've kind of placated and and really appeased our our excesses, we, we are now a lot, a lot of us stuck in this place where, yeah, man, like we everyone agrees with us, and 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 anyone who does and anyone who thinks differently to us, we think is stupid or a bad person. And so one of the things we do is 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 what we call an upstream model is helping a lot of young people who are very good at using social media, but don't understand how to use it. We help them realize one of the benefits of talking to people who don't sound like them, look like them, live like them, love like them, um, but also giving them the tools to realize how to, to, to work out how to navigate and circumnavigate in cases, the algorithms that actually drive uh, them into these echo chambers in the first place. So we do a lot of work training people, workshops, bits and bobs, stuff like that. Um, and that's the upstream model. The, down, the downstream model is we, we put on a lot of stuff where multiple perspectives come and we just hope that older people show up. So we do debates all the time. We're relaunching a lot of our shows. I've got a podcast where I try and talk to people who I don't agree with. So it's awkward because they're like, why would I come on your podcast? And I'm like, because we're trying to model what it looks like to, to disagree productively. Respectively, uh, respectfully you know? have a conversation rather than an argument. Yeah, I had a conversation with, Calvin, I've got Zuby. I think I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. We got, I've got him this Friday, um, but before that, Calvin and I disagree with him on a lot. So it's gonna be a very interesting podcast, especially his stance on lockdowns. But that's something else. Um, Calvin Robinson, I think is his name. I might have got it wrong. Um, we we had a conversation with right. I had a conversation with, and he's someone who I disagree with, especially uh, as per institutional racism. He doesn't think it exists. I, I explained why I think it does. We went back and forth. And what I love is one of the comments that came from that. So I was like, I, this is such a respectful conversation. Please, let's, uh, let's have more of these. <laughs> I just thought, well, there you go, right? Because there's some things you said that made me go, hmm, 
And I hope, I can only hope there's some things I said and let them go, hmm, as well. Because you know what, Colin? The biggest problems in the world won't be solved by people who live in echo chambers. Because the, the, the most difficult problems in the world are too sticky. They're too pernicious. They're too wicked to just be solved by someone who lives in an echo chamber. You've got to have someone who's malleable, who's, who's, whose mind is supple, who takes in information from a wide range of sources. They have the most resilient minds. They have the sharpest minds. And they're the ones who are going to solve some of the most difficult problems that plague humanity. Yeah, undoubtedly. And I think we, we've absolutely massively suffered from one-dimensional thinking across the political spectrum for, for a very long time now. And that's both opposition and, and government. And you, you look at how certain constituencies have behaved in, in complete disregard of what people would call their class background because they didn't feel listened to by the Labour Party and they voted for a Conservative Party, which some Conservatives don't feel particularly attached to, but then others are just delighted that it's, uh, it, it, it's winning. And that's, that's, the that's the nature of the political spectrum that we, uh, we operate on in the, in, in the UK now. But I find the Common Sense Network very, very interesting. And having read some of the articles that are on the website as well, it does try to bring an unbalanced, uh, sorry, an unbiased, balanced view and presentation of the facts of a particular article rather than presenting it from a side of, let's say, left or right, or let's say pro-lockdown, anti-lockdown, or pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, and it's very difficult, man. Like, I've, I, I know lots of people in the news game who are like, Mike, what you're doing makes no business sense because people don't pay money for balance. And like some people do, but there's, there's, there's a very small number of people who do. Most people want their money to go towards like changing the world in the way they want to change it. So like if you're left and you're like, we need more left-wing thought, here's 200 quid or 200,000 quid towards that. And you know, vice versa, if you're, if you're right-wing, here's a million towards that because they have more money. Anyways, uh, that's, that's how most people think. And so it's hard. Um, and it's very difficult. And like I said, I used to have an Afro um, and, you know, it, it just slowly falls off as you try to do something like this. It's heavy lifting. But my hope really, and, and I've had to ask myself multiple times, what's the success? What, you know, what, what for me is success? Is it to have a massive news outlet with 100 employees, chain, you know, all writing articles? No, no. It's to advance a thought. That, that, that's really the goal. It's to create what our mission it's to create spaces for people who don't see eye to eye to come together for fruitful dialogue. That's our mission. And as we do that, we're, we're hoping this mindset is exported and more news outlets take it, take it, you know, start doing things where they invite people with different perspectives together. We're hoping more people start going, you know what, I need to step out my friendship zone and actually start meeting new people. If that's it, that's a win for me. And, and, and it's very important, you know, to talk about productivity, to clarify the win. Because if you don't clarify the win, you don't know when to kind of, celebrate you don't know when things are going well you don't know how to how to mark yourself and for me I'm, I'm pretty clear about what 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 a win is for us yeah i think that's fantastic that you ended that note there on you have an understanding of what is constitute success because like you say you could follow all the processes and we were talking about goals earlier i'm very much process driven rather than outcome driven i know roughly what the outcome wants to be so for the podcast it might be ten thousand downloads per episode i would absolutely love and I know that the process is upload a weekly podcast with an interesting guest with a, with a couple of promotional clips that go on social media each week. That's the process. But for you there, knowing what success looks like beyond just ticking off the boxes is very important on a journey that could be at times unrewarding when it comes to 
putting out news content that you're not generating like passion from either side because it's not it's not it's not down the middle politically but it's down the middle in terms of facts absolutely and I, I, I know what we get more than anything which is what i guess the bbc sometimes gets is some people like oh they're left-wingers and some people are like oh right-wingers disgusting right-wingers i mean there was one time someone someone quote to one of our things and was like i bet this thing's run by a white nationalist and i thought no <laughs> <laughs> i am many things but a white nationalist is not one of them, you know, because because, because we just get hate from both sides because, of, of course, no, uh, people are always suspicious of something that's not totally kind of consistent with their their worldview. So if someone sees me retweeting a right wing person, they're like, oh, no, Mike's become right wing. And if someone sees me retweeting a left wing, then they're like, oh, oh are you social justice warrior? And I'm like, no, I'm just exploring. And, and sometimes I agree with people on the right. Sometimes I agree with people on the left. I hate that when somebody tells you their opinion on one particular matter, you can then put them into a box on every other matter. That terrifies me. And interestingly, like, so I spoke to a lot of friends during the Brexit referendum, and you'd be very surprised away from the mainstream narrative about the number of people that were pro-Brexit that you would never have thought. And then equally, you'd be very surprised at the number of quite conservative friends that I had who were extremely pro-EU and staying within. And you shouldn't always just paint people with a broad brush like oh everyone that voted for brexit was like a racist that lives in england that wants to send them back or everyone that voted remain is a, a social justice warrior that lives in london and hasn't got a got a clue what's going on outside of the outside of the city it's very very funny how people like think everyone should fall into these binary camps that are really easy to to group yeah Th those characters bro you're right they're damaging us and if all we achieve again is just to mess things up a bit and just put just 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 posit that people are messy and people people can't be summed up in a bio. I hate bios because I'm like, what do I put on there, right? Because whatever I put on there is not me. <laughs> you know, and I find there was one time I was gonna put like human because I was like, I'm just getting tired of because I can't list all the things I do. I can't say like, oh, like I'm a lawyer because that's not me. And I can't say I'm a, I'm a like, I can't be like, oh, you know, I'm a researcher, which is what I do. But again, it's like, that's not me. So we are not, we can't be simplified into these random one-liners or, or, or political cleavages that sometimes analysts will put us into. We're complicated, we're messy, we're hypocritical, we're, we're sometimes like weird and quirky. And like, for me, that's what it means to be human, not to be this kind of weird caricature of ourselves. I've got this question in my head and it wasn't something I thought I would ask you um, when prepping for this, but when we've spoken about religion and we've spoken about people's need for community and we see people dive into communities politically now and kind of attached to ideologies and like certain ideas, it is almost as if they have attempted to replace their faith in God and their kind of attachment to certain beliefs with like their strength of attachment towards politics or particular views. Absolutely. And I find that worrying. Absolutely. I mean, people are searching for certainty, aren't they? And they're looking for a way to channel their tribalism in a healthy way as they deem it. And so football and you know political, political groups, there can be a way to feel certain about the world because you go, this thing I'm part of is changing the world. Um, you know, my, my, my only reservation about stuff, things like that is, of course, they're, they're all 
you know, Christianity or religion at least uh, uh, posits or postulates that, that it's making uh, eternal claims, ethereal claims, you know, universal claims. But all these different things that people commit their life to are by nature, like created by people. And it's just like a bit of fun that people have taken to the ex to the extreme. I've never kissed a Tory and you go, really? Someone who has a different perspective on how taxation should be? Like, if that's the person you know, I'm like, come on, mate, you're taking it too seriously. Relax. Yeah, undoubtedly. <laughs> now, we spoke about, you just said relax, didn't you? So you told me there earlier in this conversation that at the end of each year, you try and get away for two, three weeks. Obviously, if they're letting us on planes flying at the country, whether or not we've had vaccines and all that kind of stuff. But I've heard you say before that you're not a fan of holidays. Why is this? Yeah. Well, <laughs> because, because like, maybe I should say like traditional holidays. So when people think about holidays, think about like flying and kind of going to the beach and lying down. And it, it just, I, it, it doesn't make, it doesn't relax my mind. Maybe that's why I don't like it. Uh, I don't know if I told you the story when I went on holiday to Portugal with my friends, they kind of dragged me there and I went there and um, we were on the beach lying down and um but the beach was quite empty so all i could think about was like why there weren't more people at the beach and like who's in the marketing team and and like how are they marketing this kind of um this beach because it, it it should be i was like it should be pop more populated than this <laughs> and i had to catch myself while i was thinking I'm like what is wrong with you mate just lie down and smile but my mind was going off as to what can be improved and what can be better about how it's because it was like it wasn't the entrance wasn't clear and there was just bits and bobs i'm like this is not this could be much better than it currently is type of situation um and that's what lying down does for me i just start thinking of stuff to do one of the things that really reju rejuvenates me is sport and uh, moving oh my gosh nothing like tomorrow i've got a tennis match booked for instance uh like bang in the middle of the day so i've like literally got meetings after but i'm gonna drive 30 minutes and play uh, three hours of tennis Stuff like that feeds my mind. I finish with energy and I'm like, whoa, let's go type of situation. Um, of course, I'm not saying we shouldn't get physical rest. We do need physical rest, but sleeping's enough for me. I'll be honest, like flying to a different country. It's, it's also such a faff. We're flying to a different country to like look at the water, which I don't really get. Like, I'm like, it's just, it's just water. Like, I, I just don't, I don't think it's worth the trip, <laughs> if I'm being honest. And I've traveled a lot. Like, I've literally been to over 30 countries. So it's not like I haven't been out. I just, every time I go to a new country, I'm kind of like, cool, cool people, lovely stories. Like, yeah, but this is not rest for me. This is kind of like work. Yeah, because your mind's on thinking about potential improvements or changes. <laughs> yes. But I, I, I guess it's certain types of holidays you would benefit from. So like a holiday where you had like a really packed agenda with different activities and different meetings with people, different sporting things. That's, that's right. Up that, would, that would be, that would be cool. If we had, cause and I have a friend who's been trying to get me to some sports resort thing for a while, which I'm kind of like, Oh, that would be great. Like that would be fun. More so than like going to Bali and like swinging, swinging, on the, on the swing or whatever it is like if you know what people do in Bali they're like kind of like whoa I'm thinking that looks terrible <laughs> it's really well marketed though Mike because a lot of people are doing it oh my gosh everyone does it I, I can't lie there was a time I saw it and I thought I want to swing from this uh this flowery swing <laughs> even though I know I wouldn't enjoy it that much like I would literally probably have a couple 
like every time I've been to, because I've been, okay, I, I remember being somewhere and everyone went to go skydiving. And again, I don't, I don't really get the fascination, if I'm honest. I kind of held everyone's jackets when they went, because I was like, yeah, but not. I would rather like go supercar racing or, or, um, you know, or like scuba diving, like, oh, g- g- put me in a race, put me in a challenge. Like, I want to do stuff like that, mountain climbing, you know? Your, se- your self-awareness and ability to understand what you do and do not like is incredibly important to where you are because there's very little wasted energy. The vast majority of your waking hours are put towards things that you actually care about. And some of them give you more energy to let you stay up a little bit longer. Although I've told you off before about being on that phone too late at night, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but for, but for me and for anyone listening, there's a valuable lesson. If that's all you take from this, it's spend far more of your time on things that you actually care about and not just saying yes to random things like you you again we spoke a little bit in in this discussion but i've spoken about you with you previously being busy is sometimes like a badge of honor and you actively are trying to be less busy but you're as busy as you've ever been because of the way the business is going and 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 life is going the moment with reopening but the stuff that you choose to say yes to you're incredibly selective and i think far too many of us maybe do things like oh, I'll go on that holiday to Bali or I'll do the skydive or whatever. And that's all well and good if it lights your fire. But you're just straight away, you're like, not for me, man. I want to do this, this, this. <laughs> and But how much healthier is that? Because you're going to do something that you want to do. Absolutely. And and we should say, like, obviously, I've been on holidays. I'm not just speaking theoretically. Like, I've been on those holidays. I've literally hated them. And I told friends after, like, this wasn't one of my best birthdays. I, I, you know, I'm happy... <laughs> <laughs> I've been like, I'm happy I'm with you guys, obviously. Like, I love you people. But, um, yeah, this is just, not, it, it, you know, I, it's one of those things. You've you got to be careful because I, I know myself. Like, I'm very self-aware. I know that. Like, I spend a lot of time thinking, so I know myself. However, I'm also open to the possibility of discovering new things about myself. So straddling that and trying to get that balance between that's not for me. Thank you very much. And when, when someone brings like lobster and they're like, do you want to try? I'm like, I don't, I won't like it <laughs> kind of situation. But also when someone does bring something new and you go, mm, okay, let me try. Like there's a, there's a need to be balanced is what I'm trying to say here. And not just to be like, you know, this is where I am. I'm never changing by everybody. But for me that in order for him to try new things, there has to be some semblance of enjoyment. I've got to see something in it. Otherwise I'm just not going to do it. And for me, the compensation is okay, cool. Perhaps I would have really loved it, but it's okay. I'm actually doing something I enjoy. So, so you know, there's a lot of things in the world I probably would enjoy that I won't get to do, but that's okay because I found some things that I do that I really enjoy that are making a difference that also fill me up with more. And if the compensation is there, is, is those things, that's good enough compensation for me. Powerful, Mike, and uh, a, a brilliant note for us to, to wrap up on. So the last thing I'm going to ask you is where's the best place for people to connect with you off the back of this? Where would you like to signpost them? Any Anywhere, man. I mean, check out Common Sense Network because we've got lots of amazing people, um, more eloquent than I am, who write amazing articles. So TCS Network, they've got a UK. And folks can go there. They can join. It's free. You know, everything's free. Just go and enjoy the content. Um, if you want to find out more about me, and it's just Mike Omni online, isn't it? Just type in Mike Omni or Mike, yeah, just, just Mike Omni, you'll find something. 
I'm gonna link your I'm gonna link your Instagram, Mike, and I'm gonna link the Common Sense Network. That sounds uh, a good compromise for me. Thank you all for listening. I'm sure you've enjoyed this one. If you have done, please take a screenshot, pop it on your Instagram story, tag me at call.cambro and ping Mike and I a message letting us know what you think. And I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon.